Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here with the Rundown with Robin Rich, where we take you into the weekend by running through the week that was in the mortgage industry. Uh, as always, pleased to be joined, my esteemed colleague and co-host, who this could be comical today. He's having some problems hearing with his connection. Rob, can you hear me okay with the intro here? I can barely hear you, Rich. There's a I'm I'm near a uh, a roaring river on the uh, on the 16th hole, so I'll I'll try to read lips. What are you on a putt putt course that puffed the magic dragon in the background? You know, there's you know, conspiracy think, uh, theories in 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 Reno and in the state states of Illinois and Ohio, especially Twinsburg. I think miniature golf is uh, like a new fad. Like they never seen it before, maybe. So it's a big deal, big deal. I'd never been to Myrtle Beach in my life until a baseball tournament a couple of years ago. I was in just complete shock and awe of how many putt putt courses there are in Myrtle Beach. Uh, so, two bits of trivia uh, before we really kick into things like credit scores. So, it's interesting. Uh, different parts of the nation will say things differently. For example, Rich, what do you call it if we were to go or? Oh. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Tracy, what would you call it? Ah, la, la, shoot. What? See, and I call, I call it Rochambeau. Wow. So. It's like the uh, savages that call pop soda. Oh, yeah. So sure. Soda pop. But uh, to your point, Rich, I call this miniature golf. You might call it putt-putt golf. Putt-putt. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of trivia. And once again, one, one other thing. Near Reno, the shores of Lake Tahoe, the north shore of Lake Tahoe, and local residents know this. If you ever go to Lake Tahoe and you go miniature golfing or putt-putt golfing there on the north shore, Kings Beach, the... The miniature golf course is owned by the Three Stooges Shemp's granddaughter. Hmm. Wow. Shemp's granddaughter has gone owns a miniature golf course there. So if you ever want wonder what happens to you know heirs of the Three Stooges fortune, that's uh that's one that's one thing. What other podcast are you gonna get this type of quality information? I mean hey. I can't wait to use this information somewhere else in life. Good reminder to pitch the podcast to our live audience. Amy, if you could link the podcast feed in the chat, uh, really growing a nice space podcast listeners. So always forget to encourage our live audience to subscribe to our podcast feed and give it a good rating. Evidently that helps things. Um, I never mentioned that till the very end of the show. So there we go. Anyway, well, I failed to introduce Our co-host, a familiar friend to the rundown, Uh, a lot of credit-related stuff and topics right now in the mortgage industry. So I always like to go to our credit expert, COO, Partners Credit, Tracy King. Tracy, great to see you. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Long-time listener, third-time caller, or fourth, one of the two. And I was trying to compete with Rob because he's always on location somewhere. 
And I thought this was better than my inside of my house, but we'll see how it goes. I, uh, I just, I just finished up around here and I, I'll be darned. I always fall for the old 18th hole. You know, the ball goes back in the shop and I never come away with a souvenir blue or green golf ball to use in actual golf. Uh, so that just shows the level of capital markets intelligence, Tracy, that you're dealing with here. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm in similar company for what I'll contribute to the capital markets talk. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. As always, any questions, comments, jokes, anecdotes, drop them in the chat in the Q&A. We will go ahead and incorporate it into the show. Rob, this week, the Fed continues to be in the headlines. Um, they had a meeting this week raised, as we anticipated, 75 basis points. Uh, this was off the heels, though, of Tuesday's GDP report. Uh, GDP expected to come in a little higher for Q2 than Q1, the measure of the economy as a whole, one of the big economic indicators everybody's looking at. GDP actually comes in 1% lower in Q2 in Q1. Inside of that, there was some labor-related tenants to it that concerned some people. Um, the If you look at how the markets reacted, which is funny to me, um, you know, the bad GDP number raises expectations of a recession, which helps bonds, obviously, the safety, the security of the fixed income bond market. Uh, but stocks rallying off a recession. The stock market wants a recession right now. So, um, yeah, how about know, they, that stock market? <laughs> what the I've, heck? I've switched my focus to sports collectibles. Yeah, no, let's not talk about stock market. I read a. Uh... This is going Sorry, really well. There's an altercation uh, breaking out behind me on. Uh, on the right, on the who's closest to the pin. Uh, I, years ago, Rich, I ran, I read a book called uh, "A Random Walk Down Wall Street," and I'm a firm believer that being able to predict the stock market's activities or the bond market's activities are is nearly impossible. The best that lenders and, and investors can do is just try to keep their knees bent and. Uh, you know, be able to react and just plan their businesses regardless of what rates do, or in this case, what the stock market does. But sure, the, the GDP came out, the gross domestic product, and of course, there's all kinds of numbers contained in there. And immediately people say, well, that's a backwards looking number anyway, yada, yada. And then they start talking about the risk of a recession and then people on bond market investors say, oh, yeah, recession, that means lower rates. And so the yield curve, you know, tips a little bit more, but the, the longer term rates come down. And it's important for listeners to remember that the, the 30 year mortgage rates don't trade off Fed funds. They don't trade off 30-year bonds. They, they barely trade off the 10-year. And we talk about the 10-year yield a lot because it's, it's, uh, it's, quote, you know, the benchmark yield. But in general, mortgage-backed security traders use five-year treasury, seven-year, 
treasuries because if you think about how long the average 30-year mortgage stays on servicers' books, you know, it's, it's something closer to five or seven years. Now, granted, the current crop of mortgages that are out there, that are, you know, that are two and three quarters or 3% may stick around longer, especially if borrowers can find second mortgage programs or HELOC programs in order to, to fund other needs. But nonetheless, the, uh, the five-year and the seven-year treasury securities, you know, they're doing okay. Obviously, the 10-year dropped significantly. We're back well into the twos. And we were up near almost three and a half not that long ago. So, yeah, the economic news continues to point to a potential slowdown. And now what's creeping into the uh, what's creeping into the financial press now is talk of stagflation. Gee, if, if inflation remains high and the economy stagnates, you know, then what is the Fed going to do? So it'll be, you know, we'll be talking about it for a while, Rich, in terms of uh, the economic news that comes out. And, you know, you've got a whole school of thought out there that says, gee, unemployment is low. People have jobs. Companies have trouble finding workers. So the employment picture is still good. Uh, the economy, the uh, housing market is starting to, to, I won't say falter, but slow down a little bit, which we're probably okay with. We don't need 20% appreciation every year. We'd be fine with 5%, 7% appreciation. So, uh, you know, as always, we'll see what happens. It's impossible to predict. But one of the things that, that I wanted to bring up since Tracy's on here is the, the talk about uh, when I talk to loan officers about the current economic environment and the risk of recession and so forth and what kind of loans they're seeing now, Tracy, they're telling me, well, all the, all the easy loans are done and who we're dealing with now are potentially lower credit score borrowers you know, self-employed borrowers, uh, borrowers who may not have a traditional risk profile. Is Partners Credit, are you at Partners Credit seeing that? Well, I mean, it's a good question. Um, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before in terms of like where the scores have been and where they're going now, there has been a steady decline. So um, January of last year, they were around, you know, mid scores around 720, 730. Um, and right now what we're seeing is mid scores around, you know, right around 700. So there is a dip there and it definitely brings borrowers into different brackets. Um, but I don't think it's as significant um, as people are um, up against. I mean, it is a different kind of loan. It's a different kind of, you know, refis versus purchase loans. They're different in how you work with them. Um, but I think there's a different pace with it and a different um, kind of borrower where you might need to spend a little extra time of looking at it or bringing them into, um, you know, once you pull that credit and look at that score, scores are fluid and that's something important to know. And so is, you know, the process of a purchase loan, um, when they walk in the door to when you're able to close that, there's time and there's time to work with your borrowers to understand where they need to be. And it can set yourself apart as a lender of, you know, listen, you're, you're here right now. Let's take a look at your credit profile, what that looks like, and if there's ways to improve it. So right now you might be at a 700, but there could be a possibility you could get 
that borrower up to a 720. It's just what you can do uh, with them and, and having the wherewithal to kind of take a moment, pause, have someone on your team that understands it and put forth that extra effort. And that extra effort, honestly, once you um, are familiar with it, it, it doesn't take a long time. It's, you don't need to move past it. There's tools out there you can use that can benefit the borrower and you. That's what they remember. They don't remember how quickly you can, you know, spat off like what rate you can get them and what the pricing would be. If you take the moment to pause and say, all right, here's where you're at right now. What are we looking to do? What are your goals? I know this has come up for you guys before of what are your goals as a borrower? What are you looking at? How do you want to um, spend that money? There's options there. So, well put, I had a question. I'm not a credit expert, although I play one on TV. Uh, for, for listeners who are relatively viewers who are relatively new to the industry, you know, FICO this, FICO that. First of all, there are other credit scoring models, other credit scores, and maybe we could talk about that in a bit. But FICO, you know, from Fair Isaac is is relatively well known. For somebody who doesn't follow the credit world, and I know I've heard this several times, but I always seem to forget, what what makes up a FICO score? Where did that, I mean, Fair Isaac came up with it, but what, what components go into it? Because I think originators are need to be able to coach borrowers in terms of getting their credit score up. And so what, what brings a credit score up or down? Yeah, so there's five main attributes that go along with it. And the importance is understanding what holds the heaviest weight. So um, I think it's like 30 to 35% with that is payment history. So making payments on time. Um, then it looks at another 30% would be how much you owe on it. So if, you know, what's your credit limit versus how much you've taken out on that. Um, then it, it kind of drops significantly after that. It goes down to like 15% and then it's the amount of time that's been open. Um, and then even less than that is how much new credit do you have? So they're looking at, are you going out and getting new credit cards? Um, and then uh, the, the types of credit that you use. So the difference between a credit card or an installment loan, um, those vary differently in how they impact your score. So, you know, you're looking at the most is your payment history. Are you late? Um, when does that fall off? And then it kind of trickles down from there. Thank you. Are there, are there, are there services that borrowers can use or that loan officers can recommend borrowers use in order to boost their credit score? Or do you think that loan officers advise clients on their own in terms of trying to raise credit scores? Um, in my opinion, there are ways that borrowers can get out there and do research, but that's a lot of information. If you want to add value and um, again, make yourself stand out, it is not that tricky. And, you know, I'm sure there's credit repair companies out there that will hate me, but you don't need to use a credit repair company um, when it can be simple steps. So it doesn't have to be super expensive. Um, you really just need to take a moment to look at these different attributes and, and how it's impacting the score. So most of you that use a credit reporting agency like myself, 
there are tools that you can use. One's called Credit Expert, um, and you can either simulate what a change to, you know, if I bring my uh, Visa card down $500, what is this going to do to the score? Or if I wait 60 days, what is this going to do to my score? Um, all of those things can be accessed fairly simply. But again, borrowers have access to it. But just like anything else, I'd rather come to you if I had a question about the Federal Reserve and have you answer it in 20 seconds than me sitting there trying to break apart all the different websites that are available to me in very confusing terms. You have the ability to break it down in a simple way. Um, and I encourage everybody to kind of reach out and, and talk to members of their team. And if that's where there's some holes, you can fill these in pretty simply by reaching out to, you know, whoever you're using as your CRA should be able to sit down and, and review this with you. And I, I, we've seen a lot of our customers do that recently because it is the time to kind of stand out, make sure that um, the information you're giving is relevant and correct and not sending them off saying, oh, hey, talk to this credit report pair company, come back to me when they fix it. It just turns you're putting the onus on the borrower rather than providing them with the service. So speaking of correct and incorrect, two or three months ago, and I wrote about it in my commentary, I think I might've been one of the first, the Experian, you know, snafus, the alleged miscalculation. I, I don't know what the uh, correct legal term is for a company uh, company messing up their uh, the, the score and potentially putting borrowers, or I should say, having bar borrowers read those incorrect credit scores and put those borrowers into mortgages that may have not been priced appropriately given the borrowers' real credit scores. What's happened with that whole Experian uh, issue? I know Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac addressed it, but where does it stand? What what should lenders know about that now? Um, well, one, uh, a big thing to know is that it was Equifax and not Experian. Yeah. Oh so they gosh. might not be <laughs> too thrilled. So Equifax, Equifax. Um, Equifax. Oh my yeah, gosh. not much has come Can from. I, no, hold on, Tracy, hold on. Folks at Experian, I'm sorry. I'll be glad to you know, the Godiva baskets in the mail experience. Sorry. Right. Yeah. I, Tomorrow in the commentary will be a nice blurb about uh, Experian and their services. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't. Pe people I've talked to know that I live my life trying to avoid emails with signed by general counsel at the bottom, and I imagine I'll be getting one this afternoon. So anyway, right. Tracy, go ahead. No, I mean, from what I understand, you know, it was a lot of kind of waiting and seeing and, and hearing back from how people should move forward from it because you had, um, you know, Freddie and Fannie's response, but then, you know, there's other lenders out there that uh, were waiting to kind of see what their next move was. The, from what I've heard, um, you know, our involvement of it was to get that information out to our customers as quickly as possible so that they could research it. And then it kind of placed them under, uh, some scrutiny as to what they needed to do with it. But as of, for what I know right now, it's been communicated of how they should deal with it. And from what they understood of how things lined up, you know, where they might've lost some money or made some money and kind of evened out, it was more so figuring out how to contact whom 
and how to alleviate that. But I haven't heard anything, honestly, about that in a couple of weeks. All right. Thank you. What about the, the FHFA slash Fannie Mae slash Freddie Mac accepting other credit scores besides FICO? Every once in a while, that kind of pops up. In, in, in conversation and then it kind of dies down, pops up, dies down. And, you know, if you ask anybody from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of great people at Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, but they're forbidden from publicly talking about the future. You know, asking what they're going to have for lunch tomorrow. They, they say, I can't talk about that. So if you ask them about what's going to happen with terms of credit reports and, and credit scores and so forth, they don't they won't say have you heard anything about fhfa you know accepting looking at other credit scoring models i haven't other than you know this was a big topic that came up when we were in miami and there was a breakfast where we all were were talking about this and and different scoring models and i spoke with someone at vantage score who was very excited about it because they had felt that it finally got to a point where something was going to happen and we're just waiting and weeks away and we're you know weeks away from hearing something and that was in april and we still haven't heard anything so with that i mean you know for those who don't know it's 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 discussing having a different score model other than fico which um is interesting because they keep making some changes or requirements the cfpb um recently changed um how medical collections should be reported and there's been some talk about that and then when the cfpb brought it to everyone's attention and how many credit reports this will affect and if it will actually help borrowers by removing that uh, part of what they were saying and i'm paraphrasing but that um, most lenders are using an antiquated scoring model where it won't impact as much as it should um, and what Vantage Score was saying, and I'm sure there's other, Vantage Score was waiting to hear if they would be the accepted score. So um, I'm sure there's others in the, the running, but I don't, I can't speak on that as much. But what they were showing, and I know you guys wanted to talk about um, affordability and, and credit, credit worthiness of borrowers, but what they're really talking about is you have a pool of people in which, you know, what we were talking about, the attributes, payment history is the number one thing. Well, if you don't have a huge payment history, if you haven't had open credit for five years, and that means you don't get a score. They're saying with different models, you can look at it and you can develop scores for these people and access um, loans for a pool of, of the population that hadn't been able to access that before. So where it stands, we're still waiting. And perspective, Tracy, just as somebody that runs the day to day for a fairly large credit services provider, you have any like preference on it? You know, Sandra Thompson at our conference in Miami, she was very candid and said, listen, we're still laying this. She formally asked our live audience, our live general session for feedback. We opened up like a, you know, something we sent out via text where people could give her their direct feedback. Uh, She said they're looking at, you know, basically three options. Stay, keep the saying, keep what we have now, FICO, um, replace FICO with something like Vantage or allow both. Um, but then within that, would it be the low, the, the low higher of the two, the lower of the two? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, so any, any, th- any, what are your thoughts on the issue? What would you like to see happen? 
Well, you know, one, I think that scores are expensive and everyone talks about the, the price of a credit report as is. Um, and I think there should be competition in any kind of market um, in dealing with this. And it should be also something that if we're constantly having these conversations of making sure that um, we're on top of our industry and, and what we have access to in terms of borrowers, yes, this is something that is uh, well overdue um, and should really be looked at. And um, I'm all for it. The implementation of it is going to be very tricky. Um, and then also, I imagine there will be a time will be a pick two um, for testing capabilities that, you know, you need to see how they're going to vary between one another and what that actually means. Um, but with that will be a cost because then you're paying for a FICO score and another score. And that's going to impact people too. So the question then becomes, is it worth the worth the extra investment? Could it potentially bring in more borrowers that you have access to? So it's, you know. Feels I like something's that. coming soon here from FHFA. Nothing but pure speculation on my part. I, I would imagine we're going to get something on this in August. And it's probably going to be like, pick your multiple score option of some sort. This yeah. Yeah. It'd be a real long runway, though. It'll be like a Jan 1, 24 implementation, if I had to guess. It will take time, but I'm 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 hopeful for it. It does seem like there is more discussion of score scoring model that the CFPB has been involved in more recently and, and issues with credit in the Bureau. So I'm hopeful that that causes some movement. And, you know, like you said, the discussions that we've had and questions that have been asked, it's it's prevalent in their minds. And that's, I think, really good for our industry. Rob, you done interrogating uh, Tracy. Tracy, any <laughs> thoughts on the Deshaun Watson suspension? Any predictions there? Uh, no, I'll let I'll let you guys handle that one. My guardian's ahead of your White Sox in the uh, standings. I, I had to note that at some point in the show. So, uh, Oh, great. I knew all about that and I was about to bring it up myself. So thanks for beating me to the punch. Rob, Tracy, a lot of other stuff in the news this week. The House passed the remote online notarization bill uh, in, in headlines you thought you would have seen in, in 2018. Um, and uh, off to the Senate. We'll see what happens there. Freddie Mac, two and a half billion net profit in what was an abysmal second quarter for the housing market. So all the, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, take Fannie and Freddie out from under the government thumb. There's that whole like, 30 billion a year they're making that uh, needs to be atoned for. Uh, that's that's mostly getting pumped right into the government. Um, pieces on affordable housing issues. New York Times columnist essentially calling for the federal government to get into the home building business. Anything in there, Rob, that uh, tickled your fancy this week? So <clears throat> I think I heard part of that, Rich. Like I said, there's, there's a big, there's a rushing river here by the 16th hole, but Smoke just came out of the dragon's ears there, Rob. What's that? The ears of the dragon's ears. Yeah, smoke just, exactly right. You know, there's a theory that Puff the Magic Dragon is not a harmless children's song. Puff the Magic Dragon, North Shore of Kauai, Hanalei. So I would say the average person, and I would put my, well, I'm not going to downplay Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's earnings. But I will say the industry is much more tuned in to the uh, remote online notarization. I think that's a 
uh, uh, Tiffany shot up a comment about fingers crossed. I think as an industry to be able to help future borrowers, the, uh, the technology needs to step up. And unfortunately, I, I made this comment in my, in my commentary. You know, I think the average age of a senator is 88 years old or something. I don't know. They, they, they don't even have cell phones and so forth. But so they don't, they don't understand the issue. Uh, they especially don't understand the technology. I, I hardly understand the technology, but I know that when I, when I can sign something uh, and, or, and or have it notarized remotely, I think is an amazing is an amazing thing, and is definitely needed. And especially if people don't, you know, the scheduling doesn't work. Maybe they're watching kids, and I know notaries will come to your house and so forth and so on. But I think it's a big step for our industry to be able to automate some of these things. And uh, so I, I I know that the House passed it. We'll see what happens with the Senate. I don't. I don't know why the Senate wouldn't pass this. I don't. I, more more specifically, I don't know why the uh, somebody somebody wrote something there. Maybe Rich, you can take a look at the comments. But typically, anybody who's done a legislative day uh, at their state or federal level, they know the the assistance. They know the recent graduates of law school or undergrad poli-sci who are working for these politicians, they tend to understand the issues much better than the actual politicians. So hopefully the staffs of the senators will advise them to, to put, you know, to, to move this forward. Of course, the Senate has other more pressing issues to deal with, but nonetheless, the, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a big step in the right direction. What are, the, what are the comments saying, Rich, the questions? 63 is the average age. Oh, yeah. I, all right, all right. Yeah, I mentioned it's 63. All right, fine. But but for every Diane, yeah, for every for every youngster, there's a Diane Feinstein who's, you know, 88 or 89 and, and may not know where she is at any given moment. I'm sorry. Did I say that? I'm sorry. I stay away from Claims like that. Anyway, big fan of Diane Feinstein from 20 or 30 years ago. We have comments about her tomorrow in the commentary too, right underneath Experian. No doubt. No like doubt. I actively apologize to Experian. <laughs> what are the uh, What are the other comments saying? Just uh, about Pup the Magic Dragon and uh, no, they don't go I'm, to the grocery store. Why would I sign in person? They appreciate a good jar drink. <laughs> <laughs> so um what about the rocket mortgage you know biggest mortgage company in america sponsoring the golf tournament this weekend the whole live tour you guys uh, any uh caught up in any of that drama with the uh, pro golf and this competing saudi uh tour anybody anything i on don't that? i don't have anything on that i'm sorry what, what did rich say what the live tour the rapid mortgage classic this week uh sponsoring the the pga tour event rocket mortgage this week i was just asking if you had any opinions on the whole live tour drama with with pro golf right now nothing nothing do you have thoughts on that rich let me let me throw that back to you yeah it's entertaining to me 
you know, it's, 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 and, and to some degree, these guys got rich off the PGA tour and now they're kind of screwing the PGA tour. So there's that component to it, but it's just, it's interesting to me as somebody that just appreciates sports and drama and storylines. And, you know, they got 22 of the top hundred golfers, I think that went over. So uh, yeah, I think ultimately it'll be cool to see like the rivalries develop. So uh, between guys on the different tours, but my stepdad, he's like hardcore golf fan, and he is like up in arms about this live tour and you know how you know the guys are screwing the PGA tour over. So, but <clears throat> figured I'd, I'd mix it into the conversational rotation this week with the Rocket uh, Mortgage Classic going on in Michigan. Um, what about this New York Times piece? Was really interesting. They, they don't go out directly and say the government should get in the home building, but they make some valid points. They make points we've been making on this show for well over a year now about housing stock in America, about how there is no relief on the horizon unless we're all missing something or there's a huge fall off in housing demand, that this is a problem that's just going to get worse and worse. And there's zero solutions, really. Some of this stuff in the Biden housing supply plan will help me be a little bit on the margins. But so the columnist goes on to say, basically, if we don't do one of two things, either one, incent builders to build smaller 150, 200, $300,000 homes, or the U.S. government's got to step in there and do it because this is something that needs addressed in America. Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, your thoughts on the piece. You can't hear. Something about small. Is Rich, is Rich uh, promoting tiny homes again? What, what was it? Yeah, it's the the article. It was the whenever you have an acronym that uh, goes into something. I think they talked about that in the article where it was the not in my backyard, and so it's now NIMBY. NIMBY. Um, NIMBY. Uh, you know what can you do? And and that people are saying, sure, yeah, I support it all the way. And then when it talks about you know where they're going to do it and what it looks like then it totally takes a different turn. And what right. can you do to get people to do? Uh, how can you incentivize it? Either the, the, the builders, the lenders. First of all, I need to apologize to, uh, I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm on Everyone. a screen Experience and Diane Feinstein. Right. Um, so, I need to apologize because I have misspoken about Dave Chappelle uh, saying that if you're going to build affordable housing near my comedy club, the, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to back out of building the comedy club. As it turns out, a, a, a very uh, astute reader pointed out that Dave Chappelle, that was not his discussion topic. His discussion topic was, or, or his point was, there aren't enough affordable housing units. The, the project, he's, he's trying to promote more affordable housing and uh, not, not that they're going to build it at all. So hats off to Dave Chappelle. Certainly hats off uh, to uh, who alerted me or alerted us to that fact. The, you know, it's interesting, Rich, how uh, the, the affordable housing is, you know, we talk a lot about affordable housing, and I make jokes that builders don't even know how to spell affordable. But the fact of the matter is lenders have to have products that, appeal to maybe not tiny homes, but be able to uh, attract or apply to 
people who are going to buy affordable houses, people whose median incomes are less than a certain percentage of the area's median income and so forth. So the question that lenders have to, to have to ask themselves is this is all going up. This is all going on in the government, but what do we have to offer people who might have, you know, to Tracy's point, a slightly lower credit score or income less than the median and so forth? How can we help those borrowers if the government ever is able to push forward some of these initiatives and have the builders do it and have the builders do it through whether it's tax incentives or not having to pay fifty or $100,000 a unit for permitting costs that are put on by the local government, which the federal government can't influence. So typically, Rich, I'm going to put on my blunt capital markets hat here, but we're in a we're in an industry that's driven by money, frankly. And if you can monetarily incentivize, and I don't know if incentivize is quite the word, but you know, promote these companies and these builders, individuals and so forth to do it, I think that that would be the way to go. A lot of comments in the chat about the live tour more than anything, really, but uh, also uh, people praying for our industry if the government gets involved in the home building side of it. Um, we got to have Jerry. We talked about this last week. We got to have Jerry Howard from NAHB back on again. I'd love to get his refreshed thoughts on everything going on. Well, I was talking to uh, your your own very own Jim Park this week at the Western Secondary. And he was saying that, you know, his beginnings was as a lobbyist mm -hmm. for affordable housing. Um, yeah. You guys should have him as a panelist sometime to get his, you know, I I think everyone has different views on it. But if we're in a, a place in our market where our profits are shrinking every year and the cost of a loan is higher every year and you're making nothing on a loan, what what does make you do it? The kindness of your heart? <laughs> Listen, it's a tough situation. If you're an independent mortgage bank, you're not funding loans with your own money. You're not sitting on a lot of capital. So if you have to buy back loans, depending on the size of the company, even a few can be really painful. So lenders have to make good decisions. That's why you've seen, you know, coming out of the meltdown, especially lenders not underwriting to the full extent of the credit box as credit guidelines started to expand. Um, and if you're a community bank, like what you put in the portfolio, I can tell you having experienced that, you know, especially post Dodd-Frank, um, anything you're putting in the portfolio that, you know, has any hair on it whatsoever, from LTV or credit score, or really got to explain it and reserve more capital against it. So not quite as easy as just everybody's got to lend, you know, right. there's, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of tentacles to the whole affordable housing thing, but uh, it, it certainly is going to continue to be a focus of the Biden administration. I read a piece this morning, uh, Kamala Harris and Marsha Fudge doing the roadshow, uh, doing some speaking last couple of days uh, at sites of housing related projects that the administration's engaged in and speaking about some of the accomplishments that the administration's um, you know, had in, in their first couple of years here. Um, but uh, it's all about to come into the forefront right now because uh, these housing issues, they're, they're front, go to the front page of cnbc.com or cnn.com almost every day. It's something about yeah. housing, supply, inventory, rates. And uh, it's going to be really, really interesting when the conversation becomes more 
national as the elections get closer in November. I will say, you know, just in my, I've been in our industry as you guys much longer, but I, I haven't had as many people ask me questions that had no involvement in what I do or, you know, what do you do again? And I, I know you deal with credit and whatnot. And it all seems like, you know, not everybody is tapped into the Fed. Not everybody is tapped into, you know, why does it matter that the interest rate went up one point if you're already in your mortgage? They're not as tapped into it, but lately more and more people um, that have, you know, that never were interested in before are because it is showing up more and more. Just like the leaf blower man just showed up next door. (laughs) Gotta love the timing on that. So. Uh, this is The Rundown with Rob and Rich, Rich Swabinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Grisman. And this week, the Chief Operating Officer of Partners Credit, Tracy King. Uh, just a couple minutes left. Uh, Rob, what do you got planned after the big uh, miniature uh, golf round uh, for the weekend? What do I have planned after this? Well, Rich, I'm thinking about downing a couple of Gatorades and having a power bar, you know, going out for another 18 uh, because I, I really had trouble with this earlier today with the anthill on the fourth hole, uh, really got the best of me. So I'm hoping to, you know, conquer it. And, uh, there was that windmill, the dreaded windmill on the ninth hole that I had trouble with. So I may go back for another round. Uh, if I don't do that, I'm going to have lunch with a, the local national MI rep, uh, which will probably be probably be what I do. And then tomorrow I've got tennis with a, uh, an ex carpenter who has a titanium leg, but mm. that's a tale for a different show. But, uh, anyway, Tracy, what are you up to? Uh, this weekend I'm enjoying summer and the end of summer as much as possible as we head into August. So outside with my kids and splash pads, pools, birthday parties, all the things that are fun and not dealing with any of the stuff that's not. So Tracy, Rich is going to about to trump both of us because he's probably got some concert wiffle, wiffle ball, oh. wiffle ball extra, extravaganza leading up to his uh, harmonic cats concert or whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever band is touring through Twinsburg. Funny comment in the chat. Experian just pulled their anthill. <laughs> that was a good one. So we would, once again, we'd like to apologize profusely to Experian, <laughs> Diane Feinstein, Dave Chappelle, and anybody else that was affected <laughs> by anything we've said uh, these last 42 minutes. So uh, that should cover us, right, Rob? What? Anyway. <laughs> All right. No exciting weekend plans for me. Starting to get ready for the World Series of Wiffle Ball in a couple of weeks. 175 teams from all across the Midwest. And, uh, yeah. Other than streamed that, on YouTube. Can we watch the action happen or. Yeah, there's definitely some stuff on YouTube from past tournaments. Uh, we have not talked about live streaming it, but, uh, at, this year we got a live band, a mechanical bull, uh, temporary tattoo artists and, uh, all kinds of other crazy stuff, dunk tank and, all kinds of obnoxious things. So what customers do I have where I can make a visit out there to make it, you know, business and professional, uh, whistle. (laughs) Good stuff. Well, as always, uh, thank you to our attendees, our live audience, 
our after live audience that watch on YouTube and our podcast audience. So once again, implore anybody watching on YouTube or live here, uh, the link to our podcast feed is in chat. Um, you can subscribe there, give us a nice rating, say nice things and, uh, good things will happen to you. So but, uh, <laughs> Rob, as always enjoy the conversation, Tracy, thanks for joining us on little, to no, with little to no prep. No, this has been great. And I look forward to seeing everybody in my hometown, Chicago for TMC in September. September 27 to 29 in Tracy's hometown, the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois at the Lowe's. Uh, Yeah, going to be a great event. We're tracking towards almost 600 people and a great venue, great town. Should be a lot of fun. Mortgagecollaborative.com. Anybody that wants more info on TMC in Chi-Town. So... With that, until next Friday, have a great weekend and next week, everyone. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.